athletic competition. It can easily be broken down into two parts. The minutes or hours it takes to complete the event. Then weeks, months, and years of joy or heartbreak. Finally, the decades to analyze and debate it. From the press box to press row, Donald Ware will break it all down for you with an in-depth look at historically black college athletics, as well as the biggest news stories and newsmakers of the day. It's time to talk the talk with those who walk the walk. From the press box to press row, here's your host, Donald Ware. I think very deeply. In about four seconds, a teacher will begin to speak. I think very deeply. Thank you for joining me on another edition of the program. Undoubtedly, we're going to talk about the Brian Flores situation and him suing three teams and the National Football League as a whole. We're going to kick things off on a somber note today here on the program. Chesley Christ, former Miss USA, former Miss North Carolina. It was announced on Sunday evening that she passed away and committed suicide now just 30 years old and unique now so when i first and let me let me just back up a little bit how i found out about this so my wife was saying to me she was reading something on facebook and she said something to the effect the miss former uh a former miss usa had passed away uh via suicide so I looked at the phone and it, and and for whatever reason, like my vision was blurry. I could clearly see that it was Chesley, but my my whatever vision mind would whatever would not allow for me to believe that that was in fact the case. Chesley Christ appeared on this program back in 2019, shortly after her win as Miss USA. And further, so just in in sort of following her career and and really seeing more recently where she had done, she was doing a lot for extra. She had done a lot of red carpet uh, interviews. She had had a conversation more recently with Denzel Washington. Um, she, She had really done quite a bit more recently to the point that we reached out. I reached, we reached out. To her, like, okay, we want to try to do something maybe collaborative, if possible, have her come uh, on our on, on our our new project, Radio Boss, and maybe you know every month or every couple of weeks and just talk entertainment news, right? And this was recently. As a matter of fact, I had conversations with reps from Extra maybe two or three weeks ago, and. Good conversation. Looked like it may be something that would happen. Uh, hadn't heard anything. Ultimately followed up like last week. Followed up. The rep said, hey, yeah, it, it, we've been just really busy. It's on our radar. We'll get back to you. And then I heard this. And this is the thing. When I remember the conversation that we had with Chesley Christ back in May of 2019, to be exact. I can just remember her being very outgoing. Uh, she was a person that uh, really 
not only wanted to help people, but was helping people. She was a lawyer by trade, and uh, she was a lawyer when she was named Miss USA, um, as a matter of fact. And then ultimately thereafter, shortly thereafter, the extra opportunity came uh, about. And I'm going to tell you what, she hadn't even really reached, she hadn't even scratched the surface of where she was going in life. And it's always tragic when when anybody passes, right? But particularly when young people pass and in the manner in which she passed. I, I You know, I, I when I first, and I read a lot of the reports, especially that Sunday evening and, you know, into Monday and just sort of really in disbelief. And, I mean, I, I you know, my, my one of my thoughts was, was it really suicide? Like it had to be something else when you, See her personality and in, in the conversation that we even had, you you just wouldn't think that something like that could happen to this person. But I'm going to tell you what, that's why it is important to check on people to make sure they're good, not just surface stuff. Hey, how you doing? What's happening? No, really holding a conversation with people, really making sure that. People you know, whether it's loved ones, whether it's someone really close, whether it's someone maybe you don't know that well, but you can sense that maybe there's something that's not 100% right or that's not right. Got to make sure you reach out to people and let them know that you care about them if, you know, if that situation applies that you love them and all of those things because you really don't know what people are going through and when I, I read this I, I just uh, I, I, I couldn't believe it you you talk about a beautiful person inside and out again was a track star at the University of South Carolina made her home at one time in Charlotte North Carolina uh, again Miss USA Miss North Carolina and also finished in the top 10 in terms of the Miss Universe pageant uh, that same year as well. And absolutely unbelievable. And at such a young age and hadn't even scratched the surface was a rising, a rising star for extra. So again, um, and as a matter of fact, we put together um, sort of a tribute, if you will, on on the Box to Row YouTube page and just sort of that conversation uh, that we had with her back in 2019. So you can check that out on our YouTube page uh, at Box to Row. Got a whole lot to get to on today's program. We know the big game matchup. It's going to be Cincinnati and the Los Angeles Rams. I ultimately picked the Chiefs and the Rams to win respective games. Now, I never slept on Cincinnati. I just found it hard to go against Joe Burrow. But, I mean, you you looked at what Kansas City was able to do last week against, or the previous week, I should say, against Buffalo, particularly scoring that field goal to tie the game with just 13, they moved down, moved three plays in 13 seconds, got into field goal range, and 
I'll tell you what, they could have used that same philosophy at the end of the first half. I think that's where Kansas City ultimately lost the game. Getting down, it was like it was like uh, on the goal line with like Kansas City had like I don't know five seconds left, and I, to me, after the play was over, I said that was either a play call where it was feast or famine. You were either playing for the touchdown or nothing. It was touchdown or nothing. But then when I thought about it a little more and saw the replays, I'm like, you know what? That was a bad decision by Patrick Mahomes to throw that ball to Tyreek Hill right at around like the two-yard line. It was like maybe around a three-yard line. You had a defensive lineman that, that came down, that crashed down for Kansas City, and then another defensive back. So as elusive as Tyreek Hill is, there was no way because he's elusive but it's not like he can bull you over to get into the end zone. So when that defensive lineman came crashing down and then the defensive back came into play, I'm like, no way in the world. That would have been three points that would have put the Chiefs up 14 at that time. And if the game played out the way it ultimately played out, then the the Bengals would have, I mean, the uh, Chiefs would have ultimately won that football game. Didn't go that way. We can look and say the Chiefs weren't very good in the in the second half, and you'd be right about that. But there's a reason that the Chiefs weren't very good in the second half, and I think part of that reason is because the Bengals' defense played well. Like like I've been saying the last couple of weeks, the Bengals don't. It's not like the Bengals have superstar players or big names on defense. It's just a solid defense, and schematically, it's solid. Made adjustments, right? Got pulverized in the first half. Three touchdown passes by Patrick Mahomes. 21-3 to at one point in the football game. Made adjustments in the second half to hold Kansas City to just three points. And Joe Burrow and company, uh, Jamar Chase, all these guys, you know, and then you look at Joe Mixon wearing on Kansas City in the latter part of the fourth quarter. Big runs by him that just wore on Kansas City. That guy, I mean, Joe Mixon is one of the best running backs in the National Football League. He's got some good size. He's going to, I mean, he, he can do a, a number of different things. He's versatile, he can catch the ball out of the backfield. He can run past you a little bit. He's got a little bit of speed. He can run through you. Man, he just wore on the Kansas City Chiefs down the stretch ultimately. And listen, it's like I'm going to give you my thought. I'm not going to give you my thoughts this week on who I think ultimately wins the Super Bowl between Cincinnati and the Los Angeles Rams because I need some time to really dissect this thing. I mean, on the surface – You look at Cincinnati, you're like, okay, solid defense. Joe Burrow, playmakers all over the field. Joe Mixon, the offensive line is an issue. Now, could they do some things within the next couple of weeks to fix some of the issues schematically? I don't know. Aaron Donald's a load to block, right? So I don't know if they have that much time uh, to even with with two, two weeks 
to sort of fix the ills of the Bengals' offensive line. Still to come here on Box to Row on ESPNU Radio on Sirius XM, my thoughts on the Division I HBCU recruiting classes. Up next here on the program, we're going to talk with West Virginia State head men's basketball coach Brian Poor. Hello, my name is Precious Rose Dunlap, and this is my mother, Michelle Timberlake Rowe, founder of Marjorie's Beef Jerky Incorporated. We would at this time like to thank our new customers as well as our repeating customers for your business. For every one million orders that we receive, our company is giving two million dollars away to the bottom amongst 400 of our paid customers. You see, that's the way we roll! So come place an order at Marjorie's Beef Jerky! The old renaissance is the new renaissance. Standing on tradition while embracing the spirit of distinction. This is the Harlem Brewing Company. Uniquely crafted beer brewed to deliver a taste, a sound, and a feeling that can only be described in one way. Harlem style. So come and take a trip on the A-Train with our Harlem Sugar Hill Golden Ale and our Harlem Renaissance Whip Beer. The neighborhood original. Sponsored by Harlem Beer Distributing North Carolina. For more information, log on to their website at harlembeernc.com. Donald Ware on ESPNU Radio, right here on Sirius XM. Let's continue here on Box to Row on ESPNU Radio on Sirius XM. We're joined by a gentleman who is in his 23rd season as the head men's basketball coach at Virginia State during that time. The Yellow Jackets have won three tournament championships and two regular season championships. Had a 10-game winning streak before falling to West Liberty on Wednesday. Have a home tilt on Saturday against Willing. Brian Poor, again, the head men's basketball coach at West Virginia State, joins us here on Box to Row. Coach Poor, it's been a minute. Welcome back to the program. <laughs> Yes, it sure has, and uh, certainly enjoyed always being on the show with you, so I appreciate the invite, and uh, always good to talk to you, my man. Yes, definitely. You know, I don't think we've talked since you guys have joined the double, the uh, excuse me, the, the, the MEC. You know, you were in the WVIAC for all of those years. You know, I, I want to start here. Your thoughts on the season as your team is 15-6 and six overall and 10-4, and four in Mountain East play? Yeah, you know, we started out <clears throat> a little bit kind of up and down. Um, had some tough games. You know, we played in the CP3 event up in Connecticut, which was uh, against, you know, good competition, Virginia Union. And we also played Morehouse up there and uh, played Millersville on the road. So we were kind of a little bit up and down uh, early on. We were 5-5 five and five when we went to um, Hawaii for – uh, a tournament over there and so still trying to really find ourselves and believe it or not I, I think that's where it kind of all came together was over there in Hawaii we were down 19 in the first half of the first game um, against the host team Hawaii Pacific on their court and uh, come back and won that game and then the next game uh, was against Emory and Riddle who was 11-1 at the time and ranked number 11 in the country and we were up by as many as 28 in that game and played really well. So, you know, we, for some reason, somehow, we just kind of found ourselves over there together and um, 
been playing well ever since. Um, so, you know, I'm really excited about this team uh, and where we're going. Uh, you know, we dropped the one the other night, but West Liberty on the road is always going to be a tough, tough game to win. Yeah, West West Liberty is is tough. And matter speaking of West Liberty, you had ten wins in a row sandwiched between two losses to the aforementioned West Liberty. So speak about that ten game winning streak and what was going right during the streak. Uh, you know, ever since I've been here, um, we've been kind of known as an offensive team, if you will. I mean, a lot of people, you know, we press and just try to speed people up or we have in the past. And um, so a lot of people just didn't feel like, you know, that they, they didn't really give us credit defensively. Um, so everybody kind of marked us as an offensive team. They want to score. They want to – and we still do. But um, we – for this year, you know, we just we, – we don't quite have the depth um to play nine or ten guys that I'm comfortable with in our pressing style so we've dialed that back played more half court defense and to be honest with you that's what's changed us I mean we you know we we subscribe to the synergy system who you upload the film to and then they give you ratings on each player and on your man offense man defense zone offense and all that and so both our man defense and our our our, our zone defense is rated higher than our offense right now. And and so I really think that's what's kind of turned the tide for us. And, um, you know, we've got a versatile group. And, and, you know, we had three really good players coming back from last year, Anthony Pittman, uh, Glenn um, Abram, who were both first-team All-League, and then Jeremiah Moore, who was um, honorable mention also. Uh, they all were, you know, returning. Two of them were grad seniors that came back because of COVID. So we knew those three were going to be good. But we added Noah Jordan, a guy by the name of Noah Jordan from Ajuco, and then we got a transfer from Coppin State, um, um, Dwayne Jones, who's a six-four point guard. And those two guys have really come in, and especially with the six-four point guard, it's allowed us to switch a lot of things on defense, and it's and it's made our defense just a whole lot better. And so. Uh, I really think that's what's kind of turned this team uh, around and got us in in the position we are now, being fifteen and six. Brian Poor is the head men's basketball coach at West Virginia State in his 23rd season. He joins us here on Box to Row on ESPNU Radio on Sirius XM. Coach Poor, speak to what kind of league the Mountain East Conference is and the level of basketball in the conference. I, You know what? I, I think a, a, from a fan perspective, I think it's going to be the most exciting basketball at any level that any fan can really watch because it's a very up-tempo, open-court, fast-paced, offensive, shoot threes, drive it to the basket league from pretty much from top to bottom. You may have uh, University of Charleston and maybe Fairmont, Fairmont maybe half. University of Charleston has a back-to-the-basket post player that they try to play through. Fairmont does it a little bit. The rest of us, we have, you know, the hybrid posts who like to go out on the perimeter and face up and drive it and shoot it and all that. And so, for me, you know, I think it's a fun league to watch. Um, and like I say, it's very fast-paced, offensive-oriented, um, and, you know, so, so you've, you've, you've got to have guys that can put the ball in the basket to win in this league. You know, really, I mean, 
And when we first started this show back in 2005 and in some of those years, we used to talk with you pretty semi-regularly, had a, a really good things were really going well. And then maybe not so much over a period of time, but it seems as though there was sort of a resurgence in that 2019-20 uh, season where you ultimately went 19 and 10 and 13 and 9 in league play. Can you sort of speak to that season in particular, because it seems like, you know, you go back to last season, even though it was a COVID year, that was a successful season for you. And now you're having another successful season. Yeah, definitely. And, um, you know, we, we did hit a kind of a little rough patch there um, after the 2011 season. And I mean, I, I attributed it to a couple of things. One, I, we didn't have very good chemistry and, you know, in, in our run from 03 to 2011 that you know we won all those championships and all that you know I I guess I really just kind of assumed that chemistry just happens you know and teams just come together but you know that rough stretch I had really really uh told me different and so you know in the in the past three or four years I've really recruited character more and 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 look at the character of a person to see if he's going to fit in with the character on our team and really, you know, be able to bond and, and have that good chemistry. And, and so I think that's really – and then the other thing that we, you know, you can't control, no coaches can, was injuries. And and several of those years, you know, I, I remember one year I had three point guards hurt uh, in the same year. And so, you know, you just can't control that kind of stuff. But I really think the last few years uh, our chemistry has been just a, a, a lot, lot better uh, and I think that's the main reason why we've turned the corner and really climbed our way back up into, you know, the top four in our league. No question about it. Brian Poor is the head men's basketball coach at West Virginia State in his 23rd season. Joins us here on the program. Talk a little bit more about Glenn Abram because this is a young man that has been a uh, box to row All-America, uh, All-American and a really, really good basketball player for you. As a matter of fact, earlier in the year, he was a box to row National Player of the Week. But speak to him, a really good ball player for you. Yeah, you know, he's a kid that came to us from Chicago and um, uh, a guy that I coached a few years ago. You know, it's mark, marking my age, but um, he's he's gone on and he got into the coaching world and then into training and, and, and what have you. And so he's who sent him down here to me. Um, and he's just been, Glenn's just been a, a fantastic human being, number one on our team. Um, but, a, but a great player. Um, he's about 6'2", uh, really kind of a slithery, athletic, um, not, not, I mean, he's strong, but he's kind of, you know, thin and slithery. But, man, can he score the basketball. Um, shoots it from deep. Uh, can get his own shot. Uh, can work the ball screen really good, uh, can, you know, go off. We can just go one, four flat and give him the ball, and he's going to get a good shot. Um, uh, has really opened up his game and is passing the ball a little bit better this year as well and looking for people. The, the thing early on, though, is people really loaded up against him, got physical with him, and, and wasn't allowing him to cut. And he really had he, – he got frustrated a little bit early on with the defensive schemes he was seeing until he kind of settled in, we set up a few backdoor plays for him to get him off of him a little bit. Um, but man, he's he's just he's really fun to watch. I mean, really fun to watch. Um, 
and and I just love coaching him. And you know, he had an opportunity because he graduated last year, and due to COVID, um, you know, that year didn't count against their eligibility. So he had an opportunity to go on and go overseas and play. Had a Division One two, uh, Division One school or two um, contact him about being a grad transfer and. Um, you know, he stuck it out here with me, and I, I thought it was the right move for him. Definitely not going overseas because, you know, the the COVID has has hurt those economies over there as well, and so those leagues, some of those leagues, are not back strong and full force. But also, you know, I, I told him, I mean, if you go to a Division One, yeah, it might be a step up a little bit, but you got to go learn a whole new system, a whole new coach, whole new everything, and and you know what you're going to get here. You're going to play as many minutes as you can, can possibly play and shoot it as many times as you can. And and so um, he decided to stick it out and, and come back here. And, you know, I look for him to be a, a, another first-team All-League player this year and, and possibly even player of the year in the conference. Yes, and then Anthony Pittman, I mean, the third year with you, I mean, this kid is dynamite as well. Yeah, Pitt is uh, – Pitt's something else. I, I mean, he um, – he just uh, he's he's uh, what is it that uh, they call him a stat sheet stuffer. Um, Pitt put to mark in every column pretty much. I think the other night we played, um, I believe it might have been the Fairmont game, and and uh, I believe in that game he had thirty three points and eleven rebounds and three assists and four block shots and five steals and only one turnover. And so I mean that's just. That's off the charts numbers. And so he's about a six four and a half um local kid that was he's actually a dual sport sport guy and had a low level division one football offer. Um and actually went to junior college first and was gonna play football out in California. And then right before school started, he contacted me and said, You know, this is not for me. I wanna come back there and play basketball and of course, you know, we opened our arms and welcomed him in. And he redshirted a year and then has played the last, you know, two years and then this year as well. So he can play any position on the court and, and does in any given game. I mean, he'll play a post, he'll play a wing, he'll play the point, um, plays every position on the court. So, and just does it all. I mean, he, he he's elbows above the rim. Uh, when he goes and gets a rebound, he is an above-the-rim rebounder. And... Um, uncanny timing blocking shots has blocked more three-point shots than i can even imagine uh, which is really hard to do to block somebody's shooting a three um but can get by his guy the thing that's really developed in his game really this year is his three-point shooting um because you know being an all-state football player and their team was really good usually making it to the playoffs and a lot of times to the finals you know he'd be playing football all fall and then practice basketball four times and start playing games and so he never had the uh, skill development in the fall to really improve his basketball game. And so now once he's turned his focus just to basketball, um, that's really improved. Um, shooting about 31% now from three, um, which is climbing. And, and so, um, you know, the sky's the limit for that guy. I mean, he, he's really – and he's another one that is super exciting to watch. Last two thoughts for Brian Poor, the head men's basketball coach at West Virginia State. You won at, of course, at um, Willing back on December the 8th. And, of course, they come to you now uh, on tomorrow. Your thoughts on Wheeling? Yeah, you know, Wheeling's got some experienced guys as well um, that are dangerous. Um, they've got a mismatch problem. 
um, with one of their kids who really plays in the post, but he's not really that big. And, and so you put a big guy on him, he can take you out and he can drive it a little bit. But, you know, our bigs match up pretty good with him because our bigs are also athletic and, and can guard um, smaller guys. So I don't think he'll cause us that much problems. Um, for us, you know, we always want to, you know, start out strong, make shots early. I think we'll see a good bit of zone. Uh, tomorrow because I think they'll struggle to guard us off the dribble and man. Uh, so anytime they do that, now you know you got to make some shots to get them out of the zone. Um, but playing at home usually that helps. Um, but you know what I'm telling our guys almost every game now it's about defending. I mean when we defend, um, we're going to score points because we got enough guys that can put the ball in the basket and and we're explosive offensively. So when we defend, you know things are usually going to turn out pretty good for us. And then lastly. Did you did you foresee yourself, and of course you're a West Virginia State alum, did you foresee yourself uh, being here as the head coach for now, your 23rd season? No, I know. I mean, I, I, I couldn't say that. But, uh, you know, I've been very, very fortunate. Um, and, you know, like you say, I'm a West Virginia State uh, alum. Uh, as a as a student, and and this is a crazy story. I mean, because I tell our recruits all the time, um, I'm big on setting goals, and my goal was to be a college basketball coach. Well, I didn't even play my senior year in high school. I I tore my knee up two days before we started practice, and I was just an okay player at best. Mike could have been a walk on someplace, but so obviously I didn't play college basketball. My dad was not a college basketball coach, so you know how in the world did I end up on the college level? And then on top of that become a head coach and on top of that last 23 years and counting uh here at West Virginia State University so uh I've been really blessed with some some great players and great assistant coaches that have helped me along the way um and great administration that you know have have really been uh, supportive of me and this is home for me you know my mom and dad was from here and my wife's mom and dad was from here and you know back during our run from 03 to 2010 you know, I had a few, you know, small division ones inquire a little bit, and I dabbled with them a little bit, but honestly, that just wasn't what, you know, that wasn't what I wanted, to be honest with you. I spent three years as an assistant at Marshall, and those three years was enough. You know, the division one level is, is great, um, but, you know, you have very little job security at that level. The travel is a whole lot more, uh, and so I just chose to, you know, stick it out here and I've got a comfortable, you know, living arrangement, you know, being here from, from here. And this is home to me and my wife. And I didn't feel like, you know, moving our family all over the country and, and, and bouncing around trying to make it, you know, up to the high level division one. So um, I decided just to stick it out here. And, and I'm very thankful that I did because at the end of the day, you know, basketball is basketball. And when you tip the ball up, the rim's going to be 10 foot. doesn't matter how many fans is in there for me. It can be, 10 fans it can be 50,000 fans it's still a game that I love and I love competing at and, and so you know I and I tell everybody this too man I I don't have a job man I get up every day and I go do my hobby and I just happen to get paid for it and it's just been a blessing for sure Brian Poor in his 23rd season as the head men's basketball coach at West Virginia State joining us here on the program the Yellow Jackets 15 and 6 on the season hosting Willing on tomorrow coach poor been a while great to catch up with yep. you again continued success to you and the yellow jackets absolutely my man i appreciate it invite me back anytime i always love being on your show
Up next here on Box to Row on ESPNU Radio on Sirius XM, talking HBCU recruiting. Delaware on ESPNU Radio, right here on Sirius XM. What up, what up? Yo, 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 yo. Okay, KK. It's time to talk recruiting here on Box to Row. And what we've done for the last 15 years or so is rank the top 10 FCS HBCU recruiting classes. We'll eventually do that. We're going to do a little bit something different today with the recruiting classes. I'm going to go over each program. There are 21 FCS HBCU schools, and I'll talk a little bit about what each had in terms of of recruiting as a whole in terms of HBCU recruiting what I saw a lot of this year was a lot of schools went to the transfer portal more specifically for FBS players so that tells me one of two things tells me that teams well it tells me that teams are trying to win now that's what it tells me across the board but a couple of other things that it tells me as well is either not only trying to win now, but perhaps you're desperate, don't have a lot uh, to go on and you, you, you want to establish. Now, that one of the things about the transfer portal uh, is that you're getting guys, particularly if you're going after FBS guys, you're getting guys that have played high-level football. Uh, and, and in a lot of cases, you're getting guys that have at least two years of eligibility in, in I would say, um, about probably about 75% of the cases you're getting guys that have at least two years of eligibility. So that's sort of a good thing. Um, I think the other thing and and the more notable thing with the recruitment of, of guys or players out of the transfer portal or FBS players. And you know, there, there are some Juco recruits, which that's traditionally been what you've seen. It's been high school kids, JUCO recruits, and then you'll look at a couple of FBS players sprinkled in as opposed to many. But a lot of these schools have the dominant recruits are former FBS players. But I think the COVID-19 has really changed a lot of the way recruiting is done. It has changed a whole lot to the point that, think about it, when you had that 2020 recruiting class and you look across the board in terms of HBCUs, none of the Division I HBCUs played in 2020. None. Now, you did have, of course, the SWAC, less Old Corn State, and, and that played in 2021 in the spring. Also, Tennessee State played. Nobody else played. So that was a foundation that was already laid. And by the way, all of those guys got that year of eligibility back. So now you're talking about guys that are going to be five years at least in your program. That doesn't even count a potential redshirt year. And so a lot of those foundations were laid in that respective recruiting class from 2020. Thus, you're able to kind of plug and play and bring in a lot of guys that already have college experience. So COVID-19 definitely has changed the recruiting landscape certainly uh, from that perspective going to do this in alphabetical order we'll start with Alabama A&M and to the point that I just made about laying the foundation 
So Connell Maynard and his staff had just two high school signees, okay, just two uh, out of, I think they had like 26 signees. So everybody else uh, was a transfer. And you look at some of the guys, and but the two signees that were high school kids, Ramir Lewis is a 6'7", 340-pound offensive lineman out of Belleville High School in Michigan. Three-star kid had offers from Florida, Kansas, Kentucky, Iowa State, Memphis, Michigan, and Mississippi. So he's potentially a guy that can come in and help you right away. Avion Rice is a safety out of Fort Myers in Florida. He was a three-star recruit, offers from Louisville, Marshall, Maryland, West Virginia, and Miami. So that that was good. A couple of guys that can help lay your foundation moving forward. And by the way, as part of this recruiting class, they were able to get Jaron Williams, the quarterback from the University of South Florida. So that that's going to help. I mean, you got to be able to replace quarterback Aquil Glass, who may, as a matter of fact, be drafted. So uh, that that in and of itself was a good pickup. Taking a look at Alabama State, Eddie Robinson Jr.'s first recruiting class. He signed 26 recruits. 18 of those players are high school players. So you can see Alabama State in Eddie Robinson Jr.'s first year trying to lay that foundation moving forward. He's got a three-star running back in Jalen Sutton, uh, who is from Mobile, Alabama, from St. Paul's, had offers from Mississippi, Florida State, Kansas, Memphis, and Tennessee, amongst others. That was the prize, I would say, out of that Alabama State recruiting class. Alcorn State had, out of its entire recruiting class, just two high school players, seven defensive linemen out of that class. So Fred McNair and company really put a focus on that defensive line. Uh, you look at Arian Allen's a transfer quarterback from Louisiana Tech. That's who they're going to rely on, uh, who's going to replace a guy, if you will, if you can replace a guy like a Felix Harper, who was really, really good uh, for the Braves for a couple of years running back. Jarvian Howard is a transfer from Syracuse, played 29 games for Syracuse, uh, and he's going to be one of the keys, obviously, right away for Alcorn State. And again, Alcorn State, when you look at running backs over the last five or six years, Alcorn State's had a plethora of really good running backs to play for the Braves. Doc Gamble in Arkansas Pine Bluff, a couple of guys, uh, one of the guys – uh, that they signed a JUCO quarterback, Makai Hackens from Cisco. It's a guy that could come in and, and play right away. Also looking at that defensive secondary, signed three defensive backs. And that was a concern for the Golden Lions on last year. Played the last three games without a starting defensive back. So you can see why Arkansas Pine Bluff placed that emphasis there. Bethune-Cookman, Terry Sims and his staff signed 26 guys, 10 from the state of Florida, which is down, right? Because generally you look at a class, if, if in past years, if I looked at a class from Bethune-Cookman, 18 to 20 of those guys would have been from Florida with probably from the Daytona area, Volusia County, probably like five or six of those guys right there in that Daytona Beach area, 14 of those guys were high school kids. So, again, looking to the future but trying to win right now in a fair balance 
of both. I'm going to tell you what I like. I like a transfer kid. I'm going to give you a name and tell me if you can remember this, if you've heard this name right off the bat. Jalen Jones signs with Bethune-Cookman. Now, where did you hear Jalen Jones from? He's a transfer uh, from Mississippi Delta Community College. Guess what? This is the same Jones that played at Jackson State in the spring that was really, really good. He had a really, really good spring. Uh, really was one of the catalysts for why Jackson State had a successful 2021 spring. You know he's got October 15th circled on his calendar when Jackson State comes to Bethune-Cookman. Would have been nice if Bethune-Cookman could have gone to Jackson State. Another guy running back, Brandon McDonald's a running back um, from uh, Feltram Prep Academy. He's from Dayton, Ohio. He's a guy that may could come in and help the Bethune-Cookman Wildcats immediately. Rod Milstead and Delaware State had six signees. Uh, but again, they have a good foundation. That's what Delaware State has, a good foundation. Three of those guys were transfer guys. That defensive front is going to be excellent. I like the quarterback play. I think Delaware State, all they needed was six guys. The Hornets, all they needed was six guys. That's going to be a good um, – it, it's all you need. You, you don't need any more than what you need. And I think Delaware State, with those six guys, is going to come in and, and give them uh, some depth, maybe some guys that can play right away. But they're solid as it is. Florida A&M, Willie Simmons, and his staff signed 18 guys. Five of those guys were offensive linemen. The Rattlers lost six offensive linemen, right? So they're going to have to rely on some guys uh, that played uh, a little bit last year, signing five offensive linemen. Uh, you look, if I look at uh, now, the quarterback play was good, okay, was solid. But they're bringing in a guy, Jeremy Musa, is a transfer from Vanderbilt. They really, really like him. They want to see, obviously, what he can do once spring comes around and and so forth. But, I mean, in terms of what they've seen in reps, really like this kid. Uh, defensive back T.J. Dumas is a two-star guy uh, who had offers from Cincinnati in USF. Running back Destin Coates played four years at Georgia State. It's a guy that can come in and help you right away. Was was a all um, uh, was a uh, was a all Sun Belt. Excuse me, uh, third team performer last year. Just five high school players, and also a couple of transfers from Iowa State. Grambling head coach Hugh Jackson's first recruiting class. Thirty six players signed to the recruiting class. Two three star running backs including Chance Williams from Scotland, Magnet High School in Baton Rouge, and Floyd Chalk IV from Bishop uh, Alamany in Mission Hills, California, right? So uh, he's starting out a couple of nice running backs that are high school kids. Two three-star wide receivers, Faison Wilson from Lancaster High School in Texas and Tyrese Johnson from Booker T. Washington in New Orleans. Right, so again, laying the foundation with high school kids. Three quarterbacks, including Julian Kalins, a two-star kid from Jones in Orlando. Uh, Quantarius Hawkins, a JUCO transfer from Jones College. And Keija Holloway, excuse me if I'm mispronouncing his name, but he's a transfer from UCLA. Didn't see any time at UCLA, uh, a former four-star recruit from Hermit in California. So guess what? You've got that guy for five, four or five years, uh, four years, and uh, 
you know, a former four-star recruit. So they're, they're looking to get some things done certainly right away. Taking a look at Hampton, Robert Prunty and his staff um, really got it done in the early signing period. You look at two guys. I look at two guys in this class, wide receiver, Kamari Gray from Phoebus. Now, Phoebus is like a three-minute drive from Hampton, stays in his backyard. They're calling him a dynamic wide receiver, could come in and have an immediate impact. The other guy I'm looking at, the former Norfolk State running back, Kevin Johnson, transfers in to Hampton. Now, I would imagine they probably would use him. They're listing him as an athlete. So to me, that may, I mean, he could switch to wide receiver, could be more of a threat out of the backfield. You know what that young man can do from the running back position. He's really, really good. Howard, 11 players signed for Larry Scott. Uh, I look at this class, running back Eden Jones from Treasure Coast in Florida. He's a three-star kid, had offers from Miami and Indiana. You look at the other guy, offensive tackle Noah Miles from Jefferson in Tampa. Going to pause right there, going to come back, going to take a look at the rest of the FCS HBCU recruiting class as Box to Row rolls on. The old renaissance is the new renaissance Standing on tradition while embracing the spirit of distinction This is the Harlem Brewing Company Uniquely crafted beer brewed to deliver a taste, a sound, and a feeling That can only be described in one way, Harlem style So come and take a trip on the A-Train With our Harlem Sugar Hill Golden Ale And our Harlem Renaissance Whip Beer The neighborhood original Sponsored by Harlem Beer Distributing North Carolina. For more information, log on to their website at harlembeernc.com. Hello, my name is Precious Rose Dunlap, and this is my mother, Michelle Timlake Roll, founder of Marjorie's Beef Jerky Incorporated. We would at this time like to thank our new customers as well as our repeating customers for your business. For every one million orders that we receive, our company is giving $2 million away to the bottom amongst 400 of our paid customers. You see... That's the way we roll. So come place an order at marjoriesbeefjerky.com. Now back to From the Press Box to Press Row with Donald Ware on ESPNU Radio on Sirius XM. Back up with recruiting. Let's look at Jackson State and what more can be said. 15 players signed, just two high school players. But the two high school players that were signed were a five-star kid in defensive back, Travis Hunter. You know, that got a lot of play when that happened back in December. And wide receiver Kevin Coleman, a four-star recruit from St. Mary's High School in St. Louis. Jackson State, Deion Sanders, and coaching staff signed five offensive linemen. Jackson State found it very hard to run the football on last year. Taking a look at Mississippi Valley State. I really like this Mississippi Valley State class. 28 recruits, seven high school kids, the top junior college quarterback in the country in Jamari Jones, brought in four JUCO wide receivers and a tight end in Narika's driver, Jr. Uh, He's actually a tight end out of Southern Miss and then had a three-star running back in Ghana Oboe uh, out of Miami Central, I really like this class. I like what Vincent Dancy and his his uh, staff is doing. Finished the season strong 
uh, last year and I think a solid recruiting class. Morgan State, Tyrone Wheatley and his staff signed 23 players, six from the state of Maryland and one from D.C. So in that area, you're talking about seven players signed, two quarterbacks. Quarterback play was an issue last year for the Bears. Jaden Green from San Diego and Roderick R.J. Walker from Independence Community College. Looking at Norfolk State, so Dawson Odoms and his staff signing 20 players for his first class at Norfolk State, 10 from the state of Virginia, but only three from the Tidewater area. When you were talking about Norfolk State recruiting, I mean, at least half, eh, maybe 40% of the guys, maybe 35 to 40 were Tidewater guys. Again, Dawson Odoms getting in there, but he's got a, he's got a solid class. Offensive lineman Jeremiah Bowling for Roar is a big kid, 6'7", 300 pounds. He's got running back uh, Kevon King from Oscar Smith in Chesapeake who, who led his team to back-to-back 6A state championships. Uh, he's a guy, again, from right there in the Tidewater area. The quarterback, I mean, when you had a quarterback, an elite quarterback such as Norfolk State had, had coming in with Otto Coons, transfer from Eastern Illinois, who has 13 games under his belt, had 10 starts uh, in two seasons. So you bring in an experienced quarterback. Um, Okay, taking a look at A&T. 14 players signed, eight from North Carolina, four from Virginia. Just two of those guys transferred, were transfers, one never played. So again, laying the foundation uh, is what uh, Sam Washington and his staff continues to do signed six defensive linemen and three defensive backs you look at a defensive lineman Chris Allen's a three-star kid from Wake Forest which is right here in this area of Raleigh now signed another three-star quarterback in Eli Brickhandler out of Chapel Hill which is which is fine quarterback play was an issue for A&T last year I think Jalen Fowler who was the incumbent guy is going to come and battle, I think, for his job. And, and we'll see ultimately uh, what happens there. Uh, again, but I think the prize of this class is Karan Prunty's a transfer from Kansas. He's a defensive back where he was a freshman All-American, transferred to South Carolina after Kansas, left there for personal reasons, was slated to start for the Gamecocks. And that is a huge pickup, I think, for uh, A&T, had a couple of other three-star recruits as well. North Carolina Central signed 17 players. The prize possession was South Carolina transfer Otre Smith. Played in 19 games over five seasons. So he's an older guy. He's a big kid at 6'4", 222 wide receiver. Could have come in and helped head coach Trey Oliver and the Eagles Right away, Prairie View A&M first recruiting class for new head coach Bubba McDowell. 13 players signed to the class. Three wide receivers as part of the class. One quarterback, C.J. Dumas from Shadow Creek in Perland, Texas. South Carolina State really liked South Carolina State's class. 20 of the 26 recruits from right in the state, mostly high school kids. Three-star quarterback, Zan Dunham, over 6,000 yards, 62 career touchdowns. He's going to be able to come in and learn uh, a little bit behind Corey Fields. Um, and it's just, it's just a good, a really good class. Another three-star quarterback in Prometheus Franklin. Really like South Carolina State's 
class. Buddy Q, Buddy Pugh and company getting it done. Southern, 26 players. Eric Dooley in his first season, he comes over from Prairie View A&M, signed six defensive linemen and signed six wide receivers. You know he's going to look to throw the ball all over the place. That's what Eric Dooley does wherever he goes. Tennessee State, 12 signees for Eddie George in his first recruiting class, added just one on Wednesday, Grambling State offensive lineman Rod Green. Texas Southern had 14 signees for Clarence McKinney. Nine of those players were from the state of Texas. I will rank the recruiting classes at a later date. I can just tell you, you know, off the top, I mean, obviously, Jackson State, you got a five-star and a four-star recruit that are high school kids. That's huge. But as I mentioned, I mean, I like Valley's recruiting class. I like A&T's recruiting class. I like South Carolina State's recruiting class. I mean, that's just off uh, off the top of my head. Uh, but again, recruiting a lot different now. You look across the board, most schools have at least – at least six FBS transfers, which is very, very unusual when you're talking about HBCUs at the Division I level and recruiting. I got to get ready to run here on Box to Row on ESPNU Radio on Sirius XM. Thank you to Brian Poor, the head men's basketball coach at West Virginia State, who joined us on the program for more information on Box to Row, you can log on to our website, BoxToRow.com. We've got great uh, conversations from over the years. If you've missed the conversation with Florida A&M linebacker Isaiah Land, the Buck Buchanan Award winner, that is posted on our website right now at BoxToRow.com. And always remember to support those that support Yo, Box to Row on ESPNU Radio on Sirius XM is produced by DW Communications. It's never gone this far. It's never been this bad. But I won't let it erase the memories of good times.